Last week, the topic was, I can't change. Those are lies. That's not true. Today, we're looking upon the uh, idea that we somehow feel ourselves to be failures, so we want to kind of give up. Next week, we'll be talking about, uh, I don't need uh, religion, and then the one after that will be, I can do this on my own. This is five lies that we're uh, dealing with here. Linda has a sister named Carolyn who has a daughter named Catherine. They live in Charlotte, North Carolina. A long time ago, maybe nearly a, a decade ago, we were up there visiting and Catherine was over to the, the house and she had a project in school. She was to ask uh, different uh, people, adults particularly, if they had any word for her generation. If you had a chance to speak to all of the teenagers of the world, what might you say to them? Well, she didn't give me much time to think about it, but this thought came to my mind. Find the will of God for your life and do it. Without it, you cannot fail. With God's will, you will always succeed. We're looking today at this issue of failure and success. The psalmist says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In another psalm, 31st psalm, he says, My life is consumed by anguish. In my years, by groaning. Here's a person who is really in pain. My strength fails because my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I utter contempt for my neighbors. I'm an object of dread to my close friends. Those who see me in the street flee from me. They cross the street and go down the other side of the street. Here's one who is struggling with their inability to overcome what's coming against them. And they feel like a, a failure. Maybe they feel like God's abandoned them. But here's one who feels this way. Now, Satan, you recall, Jesus said he is a liar and the father of lies. So when we're talking about five lies, we're talking about five lies that Satan tells us because he wants to mess with our minds. He wants to screw us up. And if we believe his lies, that's exactly what will happen. One of the things that Satan does in, in, in reinforcing this lie is he will tell us that success by the world standards will bring us fulfillment, will bring us happiness, contentment, serenity, a sense of significance, a sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, but the problem is, all of that's a lie. That is not true. We find that so many so-called successful people are struggling with those things that are destructive to life. It's drug addiction, or alcohol, suicide, or, or financial failure, or divorce, or ending up in jail, or whatever it may be. You know, you could, you could make a catalog, a long catalog of all of the noteworthy people who the world would look upon as being very successful. 
But in the sense of eternity and of morals, it is quite different. You know who Bernie Madoff is? That guy who built this tremendous Ponzi scheme so that uh, he was able to take down $65 billion. He's now serving a prison uh, a term of 150 years, I think it is. But if that was a time when he would have been uh, as one of the most successful men in all of, all of uh, Wall Street. But the devil's lies are just that. They are lies. Now, why do we listen to them? Because he does not want us to succeed. We have a desire to, to achieve, and anything that comes our way that will help us to do that, we think will be satisfied. But the devil lies to us in two ways. It's a two-sided coin. First of all, as I just said, he tells us that success by worldly standards will bring satisfaction and happiness. But he also will tell us that we are failures when we're not. He wants us to believe that we should give up on ourselves. He tells us that we should not hope to be any better, do any better. Because we have failed, we are failures. And the world will look upon us in that way. But God, on the other, stand, other hand, looks for meaning and purpose in our lives. We're not supposed to think of ourselves as a flop, as a dud, as a ne'er-do-well, as one who is the last one chosen on the playground at recess. God doesn't look at it that way at all. Remember, Satan thought that he could lie to Jesus. After Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, and there Satan tempted him. He tempted him in three ways. He said, take these stones, and Israel and Palestine is a very stony place, good, good easily, easy example, and turn those into bread. Jesus rejected that shortcut method toward successful messiahship. There are a lot of hungry people in Israel, and they would have responded very favorably. And then he was told, I'm going to carry you to this highest point of the temple, and you throw yourself down, and you'll survive that. And everybody will say, ooh, ee, ah, wow, isn't that wonderful? You can, you can be the head uh, on the marquee of the freak sideshow, if you want to. And everybody will ooh and ah over you. Jesus knew better than that. And then he said, take you on the highest mountain, Everest, and look at all of the kingdoms of the world. And if you will bow down and worship me, all of this can be yours. Jesus knew better. He said, no. We're to worship God and God only are we to worship. He would not buy into Satan's lies trying to teach him to be a good Messiah. You, these, this is a shortcut method. No cross mentioned. No death. No need for a resurrection. Now areas in our lives can be most any area you want to think in terms of. Grades in school. 
financial success, struggling over failure of a marriage or family breaking apart. And so the list goes long and wide. You know, we often ask for God to, to bless us, and I thought a little bit about this last week when we had a blessing service on Wednesday night to start off the new year, that we sort of expect God to bless us in the goals of success that we have established, regardless of what those are. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't want to help us down a road that's going to be a road that is filled with pain and suffering and difficulty. He's come, he reminds us in John 10, that he will give us in a life that's abundant life if we will but embrace it and take it to be our own. Try to think for a moment, for example, if you were married, for those of you who are not thinking in terms of marriage, and you have a child who is in school has an idea that they, they need to be successful in their grades. So they decide one way to do this is to cheat on homework and on tests. Maybe in other areas of their life, they will experiment with alcohol and drugs. Maybe there'll be uh, other things that they're doing. The parent doesn't bless that. The parent does the opposite. Not to encourage them to move into, into succeeding at an unworthy goal in their life. God's the greatest parent of all. So he would not bless our efforts to succeed in a worldly fashion at great price. He wants us to depend on him, not upon Satan. I want to suggest that here are a few things that you might remember when at some point in your life things are not going well, you aren't feeling very good about yourself and where you are in your life's experience. And you have a little pity party for yourself and start feeling sorry for yourselves. Let me suggest that these things might be of help to you. First of all, don't let others determine your goals. Be easy for them to do. Now, there are those that we can pretty well most of the time uh, trust with assisting us in that area, especially if you're young and your parents are trying to help guide you, talk with you about some directions you want to go in regard to college or career, and et cetera. But if we will do this, if we will allow the scriptures to help us to understand what God's larger goals for us are, then the others will fall in line. I just mentioned the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness by Satan. And you have noted before that in all three cases, he used scripture to respond to the lies of Satan because he knew the scripture held truth. And that if he would be faithful to the scripture, he could overcome the wiles of the evil one and his schemes. This means that we reject what the dominant culture is saying to us, that here's what you need to do to be successful. You need to have the right size house in the right neighborhood. 
need to drive the right car, you need to have the right friends, you sort of have a, a career that is uh, uh, satisfying, that where you can wield a lot of power. Power is, is important to us in being successful, and so on that list could go. But don't let the culture around you tell you who you are and what you should do and where you should go. The second is that failure need not be final. Some of us in here have experienced failure in ways that were very painful, very disruptive to where we thought we were going. But we need to understand that it does not need to be final. There is hope for new opportunities. That great verse in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Cling to that, that though you may have stumbled, you may have a failure in your past. As Tim said in the other uh, service, he said, just because you fail doesn't mean you are a failure. Don't let Satan lie to you about that. And then the third thing is that one thing you can do is forget your failures and move on. We all know who St. Paul was. Before he was St. Paul, he was Saul. And he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had reached a level of success in Phariseeism of anyone his age. He was very successful in the thing dearest to his heart, the Jewish religion. He was so zealous that he wanted to go after people of the way, as Christianity was called, because he saw them as being uh, blasphemers. They saw, he saw them as evil people. They were spreading uh, evil throughout Judaism. He even got to the authority to go to another place, Damascus, find the Christians that were there, haul them back to Jerusalem for trial and perhaps for uh, killing, for like stoning, like Stephen was stoned. You remember the story that the people who were actually doing the stoning had someone to hold their coats for them. Saul had done that. He was, he was all in. He was sold out to his religion. But God had a different plan. God had a different goal. You remember that experience on Damascus Road when he was struck blind temporarily and God spoke to him and said, I've, I've got a plan for you. I've got a job for you. It's to carry my gospel to the Gentiles, to be a light to the Gentiles. And his life was radically changed. And so in the third chapter of his little letter to the Philippians, which he is writing from where? Jail, that's right, from jail. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize, succeed, success, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. His life was turned around so that he saw the fallacy 
of Satan's lies with regard to what would be success for him. And success for him was radically changed. He said, I've got to forget everything that's behind. Maybe some of you who are here this morning need to hear that word. You need to forget some things in your present life or recent past. It's caused you to feel like a failure. God has another plan, another way. And to help us understand that, I mentioned the scripture a moment ago, is that the Bible is full of faces of failure. One that Tim is using in his service uh, this morning is, is uh, St. Peter. We know the story well, don't we? That when Jesus was being tried, three times someone said he is part of Jesus' group, and he denied it, even using an oath of profanity to, to, to say it. But we know how that came out. He was a failure at that moment as far as he was concerned. But after the resurrection, and Jesus and the disciples were having a charbroiled breakfast on the beach, Jesus said, Psst, Peter, let's take a walk. And they walked further down the beach so nobody else would hear. And you know what happened. Three times, Jesus allowed, gave Peter the opportunity to express his love. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, sure. Asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord. And then the third time, as if to say, Peter, do you, do you really love me? I imagine that was a break in Peter's voice. Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. So that one who just a few days before had been a failure, now because of that restoration, he could throw his shoulders back and stick out his chest and walk up straight as one who would carry the responsibility of the rock, Peter, and feed God's sheep. And the Bible is full of those. You remember Elijah, he had this confrontation with the prophets of Baal as to whose God would send down fire to consume the offering on the altar. God, prophets of Baal tried, zip, zilch, nada, nothing happened. Elijah says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to soak down the offering in the altar with water. And they did so as much as there was kind of a, a moat around it was filled with water. And at Elijah's request, God sent the fire. But after that time, though that was as successful as you could imagine a prophet being against the prophets of Baal, Ahab, who was the king, went back to Jezebel 
You don't really need to know who she was <laughs> because of the name. And she determined, well, I'm going to make Elijah just like he did to all the prophets of Baal because after they won the battle of consuming the altar, he executed all of the prophets of Baal. So I'm going to make him like them. And the Bible says that he ran for his life. He could stand against all those prophets of Baal, but he couldn't stand to one feisty woman. He ran. And in his encounter with God, he said, Lord, just take, take my life. In other words, he said, I'm a complete failure. I don't have any nerve. I can't stand up even against this, this woman. Just go ahead and take my life. But God said, no, here's something you've forgotten if you ever knew it. That is, I've got 7,000 faithful people of Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He got new life and continued to be God's servant. And finally, be realistic about setting your goals. Many years ago, when I could receive WSB radio, and a car radio, I remember they had a little thing each day about a mystery voice. You would hear this mystery voice, and then you would call the station and say, I think it's uh, Lou Costello, I don't know, anybody. And, and if you got it right, you won a prize. And I particularly remember this one person's voice I had, they had it on there for a long time, People, nobody could, could guess it, was to say, I don't know what success is, the mystery voice said, but I do know what failure is, trying to please everybody. Obviously that stuck in my mind. I remember it after all of these decades. I know what failure is, trying to please Everybody, everyone. Satan tries to trip us up by making us think in terms of we owe it to other people to try to please them. Peter received restoration. In that psalm I read at the beginning of the service of the hour, The psalmist was devastated. People were against him. He was in pain. He was terribly discouraged. But before the psalm is over, he turns around and he understands something. He says, Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. He ended on a positive note. He realized that God was his hope. God was his purpose. God was his point of reference for success. Not what his friends were saying, so-called friends, former friends, associates, and others, but only God alone. When I was in seminary, E. Stanley Jones, who was a great missionary of the church in another day, he went to he spent many years in India spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he spoke at the seminary there. I remember one thing he said. 
He said, God does not call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful and leave the success or failure up to God. Do you need to hear that word this morning? That God is not calling you to try to be successful. He's inviting you to be faithful. And he purchased the privilege of saying that to you and to me upon the cross. And here in this holy hour, as we receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, to be a way of restoring in our lives a godly self-image so that you will know who you are in Christ. You will not let the world tell you who you are. You let God tell you who you are. And he will tell you that you are my child. And I accept your faithfulness as all of the criteria I need to move in your life and to free you from any false sense of failure that may be keeping you back or keeping you down. In this sacrament, we hear again his words to us that we are not failures. We are his children. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.